This is the Improve Photography Podcast, episode number 172. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or a photography portfolio, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your first purchase. everybody and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Harmer, and I am joined by my buddy, Nick Page. Hey, Nick. How's it going? Thanks well, for having me on. We have spent a lot of time together the last week. Yes. Uh, we have been in Iceland teaching a workshop for with uh, 16 uh, readers of Improved Photography. And I mean, we just we just exhausted ourselves this week. I mean, we slept like three hours most yep. nights. We'd, uh, one night we didn't sleep at all. It was like 50 mile an hour winds and zero degrees Celsius right at the freezing mark. I mean, we just we just killed ourselves because the light was good all week shooting in Iceland. Mm-hmm. And we got some just amazing, amazing locations that we got to shoot. Uh, so we are, uh, that should explain the bags under our <laughs> eyes, but we have a lot to explain today uh, in the podcast, a lot to talk about. Uh, we are going to forego our usual questions of the week and jump right into some of the topics and things that we learned. Nick, I think you should go first here to kind of kind of introduce us to the to the trip in Iceland and what it's like there for, for photographers that haven't been. So this was Nick's first time ever leaving the United States. And Woo! yeah, so, well, I guess I went to Canada once, but I'm pretty sure Canada that doesn't count. <laughs> like as far as like international travel, I literally crossed the a bridge that time. So this was a completely different experience for me. And Iceland for, you know, when you're traveling from the United States is one of the easiest places in the world to travel to. Uh, simply because I had a direct flight. You go there and everybody in the entire country speaks English as well as Icelandic. So uh, they're very used to dealing with lost and scared Americans. (laughs) And uh, everybody there was really, really friendly and helpful. And uh, it was so traveling there and getting around once you were there was really, really easy. There's literally like one road that goes all the way around the island. So it's it's pretty difficult to get lost. Um, But Iceland was so amazing because this time of year, the light is just good forever. The, The light just lasts and lasts like here we have golden hour. There they have like golden three hours. And instead of sunset lasting like five to 10 minutes where it gets really colorful, it's lasting like 45 minutes to almost an hour there. And that's why we were so exhausted all the time, right? (laughs) Exactly. Because the light was awesome until like 1130 at night. We looked down at our watches and we're like, oh man, we got to get up in three hours. That's not good. First night (laughs) when we looked at sunset, sunset was at 930 PM and we're like, okay, if we get there at 830, we'll be good. And by 8.30, it was already beautiful color in the sky. And we're like, ah, (laughs) like an hour before sunset. And then we night photography wouldn't start until like one o'clock in the morning (laughs) because it was still kind of sunset. You could still see a little pink on the horizon even Mm -hmm. after midnight. It was just crazy because I guess it's I I don't know anything about astronomy or how this works, but I guess just its placement in the world makes it so the sun just never gets very high in the sky, just kind of hugs the horizon uh, and just barely dips below the horizon at, during the like two hour nighttime. Uh, so it was it was really crazy. Right. So we were shooting at a place called Vesterhorn, which is this amazing mountain 
uh, rock outcropping that is uh, kind of nestled close to the ocean to where uh, you have these flats where the water comes up and, and it kind of uh, fills this mud lake thing with water and you get these really excellent reflections there. And we were shooting twilight shots at like one in the morning because it just never got dark. And there's times uh, in the summer where the sun doesn't go down because the earth wobbles on its axis. The further north you get, you start getting these days that just last forever. And uh, just like sunset lasted for a, uh, for a really long time after it set, sunrise started a long time before it actually rose. So we were burning the, the candle at both ends on this trip because, the you know, we were going to bed at midnight and getting up at three to drive to the location. And a week of that can really wear you down. But luckily, we were able to sleep kind of during the day. And and uh, we didn't get a whole lot of post-processing done because we were all busy napping. And I don't know if we had like a single sit-down meal. We were eating out of convenience stores and yep. living on sandwiches and hot dogs for an entire week, which uh, is probably not doctor recommended. But, but I <laughs> will say that hot dogs in Iceland are incredibly good. They, they ditch the pigs. No pigs. They just use lamb and like throw in a, t- a, yeah. a piece of bacon just for good measure. Excellent hot dogs. I could eat it at yes. uh, Icelandic gas stations for another week. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, another reason that Iceland, uh, so Iceland is should, if it's not already, it should be on the map of every single landscape photographer. And yep. there's, there's many reasons for it. One is that the light lasts forever. You get really uh, lots of really good light. The second is that the skies are just always changing there. Um, in one day, we would have perfectly clear skies, and then we would have partly cloudy, and then we would have a giant storm roll in, and then it would clear up afterwards. Uh, so the skies are just always changing, and they change rapidly throughout the day. So you're constantly getting uh, changing skies, and that that made a lot of our photos really cool. Like, for example, we went to the Ice Beach. I cannot pronounce the actual Ice, Icelandic name of it. I'm sure I'll do it wrong, too, but I think it was Jokulsarlan. Jokulsarlan, yes, that place. Um, and it's, it's basically this location is where a glacier melts, and uh, chunks of ice fall off into a lagoon and then that lagoon fills up and then eventually washes some of those chunks out on, into the ocean, which then wash up on this black sand beach. And the beach with the ice on it is a beautiful, beautiful location in itself. But one of the mornings we got really lucky and we went out there for sunrise and we had, what is it, vent- lentricular, lentricular clouds, the pancake clouds that you typically see around like mountains and volcanoes. We had those for sunrise. And that's just something you would never get on the coast here. But uh, I, I've never seen it happen on, you know, the West Coast or, or anything. So uh, really interesting skies, light that lasts forever. You, you have you know, an hour to get your sunset composition and you can get a whole bunch of different compositions during sunset because it lasts so long. Um, just an amazing landscape with like light that just lasts forever. So I'm in love with Iceland now. I'm already trying to plan my trip back. Yeah. And I think another reason that it's become so popular for photographers is it's usually not very expensive to get there. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, really from wherever you're coming uh, on the planet, uh, it's it's kind of a convenient stopover between Europe and the United States. Um, 
And I've got to think that Iceland Air, the air, really the only airline that goes there, is subsidized by the government. I, I don't know if that's Probably. true, but I've got to think it's true. Um, because a lot of times if you're flying between the U.S. And, and Europe or vice versa, they'll give you a free stopover. Uh, so, you know, oh, if wow. you're going from from London to New York, uh, you can say if you fly Iceland Air, they'll for free stop you in Iceland. You can stay there for up to five days and That's then cool. continue on to New York. So it's really cool, a convenient place to stay. I find tickets all the time for 500 bucks to fly to Iceland from Idaho and Iceland and uh, tickets from Idaho usually aren't super uh, cheap mm-hmm. because we have to go to another major airport in in Seattle or or Salt Lake. So uh, it, it's a pretty cool location because it's not super expensive to get to. But there are some things that are very surprising as well, like there are basically no trees anywhere in the country yep. like you could count on probably two hands how many trees you'll see in an entire week it's crazy uh, so yeah. you wouldn't think it would be pretty but it's just just gorgeous yeah and during the summer months they have lots of moss that just grows everywhere moss and and some turf but uh there's this uh, whole part of the southern part of the island where there's all this lava rock that is kind of on this plane and then it leads into the foothills that go into these really big dramatic mountains. And what's cool about the lava rock is that it's completely coated with moss. So you get these little rolling knolls of moss that turn bright green in the summertime. And it's just one of those things that you don't see anywhere else along with like, you know, the, there's a turf church and there's all these houses that actually have the grass growing over, over the roof. Um, just so many unique places there. Uh, I've never seen so many waterfalls in my life. There's tons of waterfalls in Iceland. Um, there's uh, huge glaciers where you can go and go into these ice caves during the wintertime. Um, they take volcanoes. you on these volcanoes, like tons of volcanoes. Oh, what else they got? They got everything. They got really cool coastlines with sea stacks and sea arches. It's like, all of the coolest places from the United States, minus the whole rainforest thing. It's like all of that condensed down into an island that you can see in like, you know, a couple weeks probably. Uh, so, so many different places to photograph there. It's really a photographer's paradise. And it dramatically changes throughout the seasons too. Because we, we, when we went, it was kind of like the transition time. It was like early spring for them where... It was still really cold. Everything was still kind of brown and um, dormant. But during the summer months, it all turns like a neon green for a while. And then the wintertime, it's a winter wonderland. And that, that's when you get to go and photograph the Aurora Borealis, which is a huge selling point for them. Uh, all of the buses and any kind of marketing thing that you see, even the airplanes, when you ride on Iceland Air, they actually have like uh, mock northern lights going on in the aisles. <laughs> which is kind of cool, but um, yeah, it's just an ever-changing landscape and so many places to photograph there. Yeah, it was definitely awesome. Well, uh, in the first part, in the first half of this this podcast, we kind of wanted to just um, introduce you a little bit to Iceland and some of the things that we were doing there. 
Uh, and in the second half, we want to talk about some of the actual photography tips, some of the things that we mm-hmm. that we learned, things that you can take from what we messed up and, and did right and kind of apply it to whatever you're shooting, even if it's in your own backyard. Uh, but before we get to that, we want to take just a second and thank our sponsor for this episode, which is Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace is an excellent option for your uh, for hosting your photography website. The real standout feature to me about Squarespace is that it is just dead simple to use, number one. And number two, the templates are absolutely beautiful. Uh, It really takes very little tweaking to be up and running with full page, full screen, beautiful photos showing on your photography website. Uh, And Squarespace really isn't just for photography websites either. You know, if you run a small business and you want uh, to put a website up that looks totally good, professional, without paying thousands of dollars for a web designer and and then Mm -hmm. being beholden to that web designer every time you want to make a change for your website, Squarespace is a great option. Plans start at just $8 a month and you can even get a free custom domain a domain name from Squarespace. So that domain name is, you know, whatever, improvephotography.com or my photography portfolio on Squarespace is photographyidaho.com. Um, and then uh, people can type that in and, and get to your website, of course. They also have 24-7 customer support. Uh, there really is a lot to love about Squarespace. But for me, again, that standout feature about Squarespace is big beautiful photos and uh, for photographers that's kind of the most important part of it all Um, start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code improve to get 10% off your purchase that's squarespace.com and enter offer code improve to get 10% off your first purchase all right well i mentioned that in the second half of this episode we want to talk about some of the actual photography tips and things that we uh, learned while we were in iceland and uh, the first thing that that i know that i messed up in iceland that killed a couple of my very favorite compositions from the week was a wet lens um we shot behind so many waterfalls i bet i shot 15 to 20 waterfalls this week and it was really hard to keep that lens dry because these are big Mongo uh, waterfalls. And I was aware of it while we were shooting. I think everybody was trying to keep that lens dry so you didn't get water spots. Um, and I just was covering it up. You know, we'd get to the waterfall. I'd put my hand right in front of the lens to cover it and then just move my hand for a second to take the picture and cover it up again. Uh, but I still didn't succeed in keeping the lens dry. And so that's something that I really want to uh, to fix somehow next time I go to Iceland is working to to keep that lens dry. Do you have trouble with that as well, Nick? Oh, yes, man. I struggled hard with it. And I thought like a lot of times that I was being right on top of it because I'm used to shooting around waterfalls and oceanscapes and stuff. But there's I what's the name of the big one that you go back behind and it's kind of the big one that you see lots of photos of. What's the name of that one? It's like uh, snorkel foss or <laughs> whatever it was. Or, well, anyways, that one starts with an S and ends with a foss. Cellulance uh, foss. <clears throat> so there you go. Cellulite floss. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, floss your cellulite. Exactly. So. Um, back there, there was just areas where the mist was just really, really hardcore. And I, I, you know, I had my microfiber towel and I would, I was shooting a panorama and I would 
uh, wipe my lens off and then I'll take it off right before the shot and then I'll put it back on. But the problem that I was having is that even though I was getting the water spots off, I was smearing the water across my element. And that looks just as bad. You know, I had like a line of fuzziness on um, a lot of my shots because I wasn't getting it completely dry. One of the things that I've heard, a tip that I've never actually tried before, but I, after that experience, I'm going to start trying is using a rocket blower to get the mist off because rather than smearing it across your lens, you're just going to like blow it across your lens and it'll just kind of beat up and roll off. So I'm going to try that next time. Man, I was struggling too. And I'm used to that. I, I shoot waterfalls all the time, but that was an extreme condition because it was there was areas back there where it was coming down so fast. You I mean, you couldn't even rattle off a single shot without getting water on your lens. So the, the trick that I found and I finally discovered uh, while shooting there is that you can find little pockets around the, around the area there where just because the wind is moving, it's not hitting it. There's not as much mist. So the trick is to find one of those pockets and then nestle yourself back in there to where you're kind of protected from all that mist. And those are the more successful shots that I ended up coming home with. And there wasn't very many keepers from that particular shoot just because there was so much mist on all of mine. Um, so another thing that I learned this week is that I'm so used to having to really rush and hustle during sunset that um, uh, when sunset was happening there, I was like in go mode and I was just like, you know, adrenaline pumping, trying to get all of these shots. And then, and then I just kept going. I realized, wait, and a then minute, an I hour later have... when it was still sunset, <laughs> exactly. I don't have to rush quite so much. And, and like the first time when we shot at the ice beach with all, I mean, that was pretty much the, the thing that I was most excited to shoot while I was in Iceland. And we got there and we had this amazing sunrise developing. And I was so excited about, the scene, I was just trying to like hurry up and document it before it went away. But because of that, my composi compositions were kind of weak to begin with because I was just like, uh, I wasn't slowing down and really taking my time and composing my shots. Was I was drive like, by shooting photography. Exactly. I was just like, get it all, hurry up, you know? And uh, so the, the earlier shots from, from that particular shoot were kind of weak. The compositions weren't very strong and I wasn't waiting for the right wave and stuff like that. And then later on through that shoot, I watched my compositions get better and better. And unfortunately my best compositions happened right after the light kind of died a little bit. And so that was an unfortunate thing because, um, had I slowed down and like really absorbed my surroundings before I got all excited and started, uh, snapping shots, my compositions would have been better. So that was one of the things that I learned. Yeah, I agree. And I did the same thing when I was at the ice beach. Uh, well, I, maybe not the same thing, but, uh, with the same result, I, the first time we went there, I saw, you know, these amazing graphical kind of shapes of ice on the beach that are, you know, worn out by the water on this black sand beach and the water kind of coming up and, and coming back as the waves are receding and everybody's shooting a long exposure. I shot maybe 15 to 20, 20 photos and I thought, nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, okay, I got my photo and they're all kind of looking the same now, just more ice chunks with water receding. And then I went back to the hotel later on and looked at my photos and I thought, not quite nailed it. You know, mm -hmm. I, it, because, because it was 
so easy to get a good photo there. I got a little complacent and didn't spend the time to really nail down those fine details. Like, you know, would my shutter speed but look a little bit better if it was a quarter of a second longer or a quarter of a second shorter? Would it look a little bit better if I was six inches closer to the ice or six inches back from the ice? Uh, you know, how much water do I want rushing up on the beach? And I had got some fine pictures there, but it wasn't like, that awesome, awesome shot of it. And so I had to go back after I saw everybody else's photos from my speech. I thought, ooh, I got a little careless there. And so that we went back. And the second time I got much better pictures there because I, I wasn't sitting on my laurels. I really was paying attention. I said, no, yeah. I got to get every little detail right here. Yeah. And when you're going on a trip like this, you need to treat each shoot like it's going to be the only time in your life that you're going to be there because it might be the only time in your life that you're going to be there. You know, I might never get a chance to go back to ice beach. So, um, you know, I, I should have looking back, I should have really taken my time with my compositions and really found the perfect piece of ice and, and really spent more time than I did rather than just being like, Oh, I'm a good photographer. I got this and being overconfident and not really honing in those compositions and being very, very thoughtful about everything from your shutter speed to your aperture to, you know, when you're taking that shot, what part of that wave are you wanting to capture? Because it's not until you get home and you look at your computer that you realize, oh, I like that particular shutter speed best. And I like this particular wave position best. You don't know that at the time looking at the back of your little camera. So you want to have lots of options when you go back home because that might be the only time you're ever going to get to shoot it. So that's something to keep in mind when you're going to these far off locations. Um, so another thing that I learned, and this was actually something I did right, was I took uh, less gear than I normally take. Um, I only took, I took three lenses, but I only used two of them. I took my 16 to 35 wide angle lens. Um, and I used that for like 90% of everything. And then I took the Canon 70 to 300 F4 to 5.6, the L version of that. And, um, it was great. And the reason I liked that so much is it's way smaller than my 70 to 200 F2.8. Um, it's shorter and stubbier and lighter. And, and then I had a camera body connected to each lens. And so when I was ready to change lenses, I just grabbed the other camera body. I didn't have to swap lenses. I just switched cameras and I was good to go. And that worked really well for me because there was times where, uh, for example, we were, when we were shooting on the ice beach, uh, there was whales out like surfacing and, and, you know, doing what they do. And it, I'd never got to photograph a whale before, but I got a whale shot there and it was, it was, it worked out great because I had my tripod with my camera on it uh, with my wide angle on it. And then I could just reach in the bag and grab my long lens and snap a shot of the whale. And then, and it just worked out really well. The other lens that I took with me was my Roken on 24 millimeter F 1.4, just in case there was a chance of Aurora that was going to be strong enough. I didn't use it at all. This time of year, you just can't see Aurora. It doesn't get dark enough at night. So I, I could have even left that at home. And because I took such a small setup, my bag was lighter and I didn't hate it. And I didn't, uh, I wasn't constantly trying to take my bag off because it wasn't that bad to carry. So I was really happy that I only took those two lenses. Yeah, very cool. I, I uh, wish I would have taken one extra lens. Uh, I brought the wide angle, the 24 to 70 equivalent, 16 to 55 on Fuji. 
And I wish I would have brought my 70 to 200 equivalent, the 50 to 140. Um, I didn't expect it to to need it, but there were a few times, maybe five or six, that I saw a cool shot that I could have made with that longer lens, and I wish I wouldn't have left it back. But the bigger complaint that I had, uh, two things that I learned that are a little bit more gear-related for the nerdy ones of you, um, are one... The Fuji X-Pro2, this is the new uh, new flagship body from Fuji. It's a mirrorless crop sensor camera, costs $1,700, uh, and really is my dream camera, except for one thing. It doesn't have a, a rotating LCD screen. Uh, I tested it against the Sony a6300. This is very non-scientific, just quick and dirty testing. Um, our mutual friend, Zach Blackwood had one who's engaged to be married. Congratulations, Zach. Um, he had an a6300 and, and he and I were playing with him in the airport, the Fuji against the a6300. And I, I, they were very similar in focusing. Sony has advertised the a6300 as the fastest focusing camera ever. Uh, I mean, they have really gone crazy on, on how they're advertising this thing. Um, and so comparing it against the Fuji X-Pro2, both of us felt that the X-Pro2 had just a hair faster focus than the a6300, but they both did extremely well. For the first time ever, I can honestly say that I believe the Fuji X-Pro2 has the best autofocus of any camera I've ever used, period. Wow. Um, and that is something I would never have said about any mirrorless camera before this, uh, before this body. Um, the X-T2 or the X-T1 that I love uh, was a wonderful camera, but the autofocus is it's okay. It's all right. It's usable, but it's not great. Um, and this, I don't know what they've done in the last year, but the X-Pro2 is lightning fast focus. So I've, I did that quick and dirty testing against the A6300. The other thing that we did is we shot a, a fair amount of low light photography, not quite night photography, but really close to it. Uh, cause it didn't get quite dark enough to call it night photography. Yeah. Um, and I could focus in the darkest situations that I never would have dreamed possible with a traditional DSLR where one night we were at Vestrahorn mm -hmm. um, and we were, we had this great setup and we had Alan with a headlamp go up onto this rock doing a little Simba thing, but with a headlamp uh, shooting I'm the beam sorry, of the headlamp off into the mountains. Uh, it was a cool setup, but I, I think almost every person there that had a DSLR spent at least 15 minutes struggling to find focus. And I went and I tried to help several of them, but it was just tough uh, to get to get that focus uh, where it was that dark. Uh, if there was one tiny little city light way off in the distance that we got a couple of the cameras to focus on, but most of them still wouldn't do it. And so it was it was almost to the point of kind of throwing your hands up in the air and saying, I, I don't, I don't know. It is just really hard to focus there. Um, and the Fuji like beep, you know, like you just press it and beep, beep, it got focus anywhere. I could focus on That's the rock, on the light in the distance. It was really, <laughs> really, really cool. Uh, and my photos from that are sharp, 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 everyone. Uh, and that's that's not something I could have done with the DSLR. So then the other. Gotta, oh, sorry. Go oh, ahead. Okay. I just wanted to throw in a quick tip here. Um, when you're in a situation like that where it's too dark for your camera to focus, uh, a tip to, to for everybody that's trying to focus in those situations for like stars and stuff, uh, throw your camera into manual focus so it's not attempting to focus. 
And then if you do have a light like we did, we had that light way off in the distance. You put it in the live view, you zoom in on it as much as you can using your digital zoom on the back of your LCD. And then you just manually focus it in. That way you're getting it perfectly at infinity and then you can recompose your shot and do that. Uh, cameras suck at focusing in the dark, especially like, you know, night scenes, astrophotography. Um, but if you manually focus, put it in a manual focus, it makes it makes your life much, much easier. So just quick Very tip. Good tip. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and, and the other thing I should add is one thing that made it so difficult is we had to shoot some of the photos focused on Alan and some of the photos focused on the background if you're shooting a full frame camera because we had even less depth of field. And so it was just a real struggle uh, for people that had very nice DSLRs, very nice full frame DSLRs. That sit, that particular situation was pretty rough to pull off. Uh, but I think everybody got it. Everybody got a good shot, but it, it was very hard. Um, anyway, so uh, that was pretty cool. That I mean, it was just nailing the focus. And then the other thing is I tested it against my Canon 7D Mark II that's pretty widely regarded as an excellent autofocus camera i mean this is a sports beast is the canon 70 mark ii and this is again very unscientific this is jim's version of testing uh, i got my kids on their little uh what do you call those things you step on oh the the, the little hoverboard thingies like not those, that cool or? less cool Less cool. Scooter. scooter. The scooter. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't think of it. I uh, got my kid on, on the, on this, on their little scooters. And I just had over and over and over and over again, had them just riding to riding toward me. And I test it with the 70 Mark two and with the Fuji X pro two and 70 Mark two and the Fuji X pro two over and over and over again. And, uh, I would say that uh, the Fuji X pro two got about 10% of the photos more in in sharp focus with that tracking continuous focus than even the Canon 70 Mark II did. I was really, really, really impressed. Um, so given those two things, that's why I, I, I would say that it's probably the best one that I've tested uh, for autofocus. I doubt it's going to compare if we're shooting sports next to a Nikon D4S or, or a Canon 1DX or whatever um, in just the raw continuous focus. But uh, beating the 70 Mark II for continuous focus and exactly. that and awesome. the ability to focus in really, really dark conditions. I've been really happy with it. So that's been pretty cool. But not a Fuji fanboy because I got super frustrated with Fuji on this trip. Uh, so we were shooting waterfalls and I was shooting with Alan. Alan also shoots a Fuji X Pro 2. And uh, this happened to me once in Utah where about halfway through a shoot, my camera just said, uh, turn off camera and turn back on again. And I said, what? And I did it about a hundred times and it wasn't working. And I thought, oh man, something's wrong with the camera. Tried a different lens and poof, it was working. Um, then I, about uh, several weeks later, I tried that lens that was giving me issues and it was totally fine. Worked for months, no issues whatsoever. And so I thought, huh, weird. Well, it's working fine now. And so I take it to Iceland and about halfway through the very first waterfall shoot, I pull it out of the bag and start shooting and, oh, it brings up this error. Turn off and turn on again. And I thought, no, about two or three minutes later, like right after Alan's camera, the Fuji X-Pro2 starts doing the same thing. And I thought, no way, what is happening here? And then Alan reminded me, I had forgotten this, that the, the Fuji's only wide angle lens is not weather sealed. And Lame. so, uh, though I drenched that camera many times this week and I had no issues, 
the one wide angle lens they make, which is an excellent lens. It's sharp. It focuses close. It's, it's, it's lightweight. It's great, but it's not weather sealed. Mm. And so after, uh, after we got back to the hotel, I literally took a hairdryer to the lens in the hotel um, and hair dried my lens for about 10 minutes and poof, worked great until the next waterfall shoot. And it died like immediately. Um, so that is a huge yes. major Achilles heel in the Fuji system. Huge major Achilles heel is that there is not a weather sealed wide angle lens. They weather seal most of their lenses. Most of them are weather sealed. Why they would leave it off their one right. wide angle lens is crazy because that's the one lens where you'd need it the most uh, need to get that weather sealing. Uh, so I was extremely unhappy with that limitation. It did hurt some of my photos uh, from the shoot. Um, and so that's what. So it's a cautionary yeah. tale again. Fuji publishes a roadmap. It tells you what lenses are coming up next. Uh, and they have now finished that roadmap. They just released the 100 to 400. And I have not seen any other uh, lenses that are promised but haven't been delivered yet. And so uh, I'm getting a little impatient there. I really need to see a wide angle lens coming up soon on the Fuji lens roadmap. Um, that That's what. That, that's the thing is like, you know, a 10 to 24, a wide angle lens like that. That's the one lens that you have to get close to the water yep. to photograph it. You know, I tell a photo lens, you're far back. Like you can keep that thing dry pretty well, but with a wide angle lens, like you're right up on it. That's the one that absolutely needs weather sealing. They should, when you get that lens, they should give you like a lens coat or some kind of rain cover for your camera because you're going to have to use it unless you want your camera to seize up like that. That's pretty lame that's it, pretty lame. yeah it's pretty lame that was a that was a major problem so speaking of lame when you're going to a place like iceland and they lose your luggage that's lame ah, that what, was lame right so marty uh that came on the trip they totally lost his luggage in his luggage was his tripod was like his heavy coat can you imagine shooting in iceland without a nice heavy coat Ooh. so i i guess uh, the moral of that story is that it make sure that you have anything that you absolutely need in your carry on somehow, whether, you know, it's a coat or like some, maybe it would be worth it to just have like some kind of little travel tripod, like your backup. Hopefully I won't have to use this tripod in your bag somewhere just in case. Uh, luckily I hadn't left yet. So I brought him a tripod and, and he didn't have to shoot without a tripod at all. And they found his luggage and delivered it to him on like day three but still he had to shoot without a nice heavy winter coat for a couple of days. And that, that sucks. So always keep in mind that they might lose your luggage and there better not be anything you absolutely need in that luggage. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. I, and mm -hmm. I risked it on this trip. I usually don't, I usually keep my tripod on my carry on, but this time I thought, I'm just going to risk it. I don't want to walk through the, yeah. through the airport with the tripod and it was fine, but after seeing that with Marty, I thought, nope, that's why I always keep the tripod on the back. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. uh, well, another thing I wanted to share is something that I'm doing with my Improved Photography Plus mentoring students. So those of you who have missed it, improvedphotographyplus.com is a separate website from Improved Photography that has basically all of the streaming or downloadable products from Improved Photography available for just $19.95 a month. And there's a two-week free trial. 
That's over $2,000 worth of products if you were to buy them all separately, and it's $19.95 a month. But you know what? The Improved Photography Plus would lose to other websites like Kelby Training and Linda if all we were doing uh, is the video training. Lynda.com has a lot more video training uh, than Improved Photography does. And Lynda's a little bit more money, uh, but not much. Uh, but we're doing a lot more with Improved Photography Plus. In addition to uh, dozens and dozens of hours of video content, there are also hundreds of Lightroom presets you can get in there, Lightroom brushes. You can get Nick's sky replacement tutorials. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you get out and you shoot a landscape and it's like, hmm, it's okay, but the sky fell flat. Or for real estate photography, you know, you got to go shoot it today to get the listing up and the sky's kind of kind of ugly. It's just blank. Uh, so you can get in there and we have dozens and dozens of raw files that both Nick and I have shot that you can just use right on there. You can uh, you just go to the download center, look for one of the one of the sky skies that you want to use and poof, you have it that you can include in your photo, uh, including a, a tutorial from Nick on on how exactly that's done. If you need contracts for your photography, that's in there ebooks are are in there and i'm looking to add a very cool new thing coming up in a few months um there are just tons of things in improved photography plus to like but the other thing is uh we are also doing tons of workshops workshops usually cost thousands of dollars when you go with well-known photographers and we are including our free workshop series that we have done many many of in the past uh, those spots in those are getting smaller. We're doing uh, fewer of the very large trips with 75 people. Now where they're getting a lot smaller and they're going first to improve photography plus people. And I've got to think they're going to fill up this week. I am announcing mm -hmm. the dates for Glacier National Park and it is going to be available first to subscribers of improved photography plus. So uh, I hope you'll take a look at it at improvephotographyplus.com. Uh, again, if you compare it just video content, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But that's not just what you're getting. You're getting other things that really I don't know of any other website that's offering dozens of hours of video content and hundreds of Lightroom presets and sky replacements and photography contracts and workshops uh, for $19.95 a month. Uh, so it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, it's a big leap uh, for me. Uh, to get down to that price range. Uh, it was a little bit scary to do that, uh, but it, I've just heard amazing, uh, excited reviews from it from those who have uh, come on and supported us and are doing it. Uh, so I'm, I encourage you to check it out for sure. Uh, we have had of uh, we don't usually re reduce uh, or release numbers of, of things because the competition often listens to our show, uh, but we've had a lot of people sign up and a total of four people have canceled their subscription. So uh, oh, wow. uh, it's been a real success. I've been, been nice. excited with that. Anyway, in Improved Photography Plus, you have the option of, of upgrading to mentoring where you work directly with me or Nick or Erica or Brian or Majid. Um, in uh, you know one-on-one, -on -one, you can email us, call us. We message back and forth every day. If you have questions or need feedback on a photo, we're there for you, um, is available as a separate upgrade. And what I'm working on with my students this week, this is kind of a long explanation to get there, but we always have <laughs> new listeners, so I've got to kind of set the foundation. Anyway, the photo challenge for this month for my students is the planned photo. And uh, as I've done portfolio reviews, the big thing that I keep seeing missing over and over and over again is that a photo has like 
It came 80% of the way there, but it's missing the soul of the picture. Have you seen, I'm sure you've seen this a million times, Nick, when you're doing portfolio reviews that you see like this knockout five-star sunset that's just gorgeous um, over the beach or whatever. But then there's like, there's no subject. There's no amazing rock in the foreground or a boat there or a couple kissing silhouette uh, or whatever it is. It's just like missing the soul of the photo. Have you seen that a lot? I'm sure you've seen that a lot. Yeah. For any store, for any photo to really have an impact on the viewer, there has to be some kind of story being told. And it's really hard to tell a story without a subject or a main character of the story. And that's one of the things I'm constantly saying to people is that, a really cool sky, really cool sunset, or even a really cool set of, you know, the Milky Way above a scene. It's not enough. That needs to complement the subject. And so every photo has to have some kind of subject or or some kind of theme to it. And it's really hard to tell a story without a main character. So yeah, I totally know what you're talking about. I love the way that you said that with a main character. I've been trying to explain that and I think I'm going to start ripping that off. <laughs> I really like that. Yep. Uh, yep. And anyway, the reason that I'm saying that is I it was just really highlighted for me this lesson in Iceland that there were so many of the waterfalls that I shot the last time I went there uh, last year that I came home and it was just like, uh, it's okay. You know, it's good, yeah. but it, it just feels like a very generic photo of that location. It doesn't capture that that essence of a huge waterfall. I mean, they in Iceland, they have waterfalls like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just wasn't capturing the soul of that waterfall. It just happened to be a picture of it, but it wasn't capturing the essence of it. And so anyway, in Iceland with a lot of the waterfalls, One of the things that Nick and I encouraged all the students to do, we had a series of eight challenges, the photos to get while you were there. And one of them was to include a person in your landscape. And it took about a day or two for everybody to really get the hand of this. And then everybody was including people in their landscapes. And it just made a huge difference in the photo, huge difference to have somebody Mm -hmm. standing in front of that, that waterfall, not like, you know, smiling, looking back at the camera and waving, but like somebody with a pack on looking like they're heading out onto the trail uh, or standing way off into the distance. So they're tiny and you can't even tell, you know, who the person is just with their arms outstretched, you know, things that just give a sense of scale and soul to the photo. Uh, So that was one lesson that really stood out for me. And it's not just about uh, landscapes. Uh, I've been saying the same thing with my students in portraits that oftentimes I'm seeing a photo that's 80% of the way there. And it just is lacking that little bit of soul, uh, that main Mm -hmm. character, that's something in the photo. And so that's that's something that I I hope everybody will kind of think through uh, as you're trying to take your photography to the next level, because that's something we're focusing on uh, with my mentoring students. And and I think it's going to be really, really helpful. Yeah. And if you're trying to envision how it can be done, just go look at some of Majid's photography. Majid is kind of the selfie king. <laughs> he's, he got, a, he's a prolif- he's got, prolific selfieer. Exactly. I, I think it's because he's a little bit self-absorbed. <laughs> hopefully he won't listen to this. We're our guy. But anyways, uh, but he just loves photos of himself, but he is really good at the really just adding scale to his landscapes with putting himself in the frame. And a lot of times he's just this tiny little speck standing out on a precarious little perch. 
And it adds so much scale and mood and drama to the photo because suddenly you see how big and impressive this particular place is. So go check out Majid's photography. Uh, he's really, really good at it. And, it. and it'll totally give you ideas and a little bit of inspiration for how you can do it with your own stuff because it's pretty cool. That is very cool. Uh, we love Majid. He's a good friend of ours. <laughs> um, we're, we're allowed to bust his chops a little bit. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, the, we had a ton of awesome experiences in in Iceland, and I hope some of the actual practical tips that we learned while we were there are helpful to everybody and um, listening to it. Uh, I recorded a bunch of new content that I'm exciting to excited to release. We did a, a trip video that we're going to put out on YouTube of just kind of showing uh, all of the things we did and a bunch of little kind of quick tips that we did. So mm-hmm. watch out for that. Uh, but before we leave you, we like to give you a doodad of the week. Uh, the doodads of the week, you can find all of them from every week uh, in 2016 at improvephotography.com slash doodads. We have a list of them there all in one convenient spot. So if you're driving or sweating it out on the treadmill right now, um, then you can just go to improvephotography.com slash doodads anytime and just totally destroy your personal budget because there's some cool stuff on there um but the one that i want to recommend is an oldie but a goodie i want to bring this one back um it is the thingama tripod uh tripod key i needed this several times on the trip uh, it's a really cool device it just hooks onto your keychain and then you can put it you can just tighten up that that uh the screw on the bottom of your quick release plate and i'm often switching quick release plates between different cameras and stuff uh, so it's a very cool device they sent me uh, one to try out and i've really liked it and they would like to give away some free ones to listeners of improved photography nice. and so to get to be entered to win the thinguma uh, tripod key uh, all you have to do is go to improvephotography.com slash 172. That's the the number of this episode, improvephotography.com slash 172. Uh, or go to the show notes for this episode and just leave a comment of anything. Doesn't matter what it is you want to say. Just leave any comment and five of you will win the Thingama tripod key. It's pretty cool. Um, and you can find it on amazon.com. We will have links in the at improvephotography.com slash dads what do you have for us nick so mine's a little more expensive than yours <clears throat> like yeah, i said it's free <laughs> five yeah, exactly. of them get it free and then that's it's a 20 hard box that's a hard <laughs> price to beat for sure so mine is the can canon 70 to 300 l series lens um it, they come in at about like 1200 dollars somewhere in there and for the landscape photographer it makes so much more sense than the the Canon 70 to 200 or really any 70 to 200 f 2.8 because it's like almost half half the weight it's much smaller so it actually fits in your bag a little bit easier you can start taking smaller bags with you which is kind of nice it's very professionally sharp Uh, it's a great range you get more millimeters for your money and uh, it's great for just having it on there you don't even have to use a tripod collar if you don't want to uh, you can get the optional tripod collar um, but it's, it's just a really great lens it's very versatile it's very small it's very compact and it's not nearly as big and bulky as a 70 to 200 and you get more reach uh, what's, the, the, what's de- the price difference of the 70 to 300 and the 70 a, to 200 f4 do you know that uh, that I don't know. I want to say the 70 to 200 F4 is right around 1500. So this lens is a tiny bit cheaper. Uh, weight wise, they're very similar, 
But this one, you get 200 extra millimeters or 100 extra millimeters. I'm sorry. And it's very, it's way shorter. So lengthwise, it's comparable to like a 24 to 70. So you can actually put it vertically like in, down in your bag rather than having to lay it down on its side like you would a 70 to 200. And for that reason alone, it, it works much better for like the mind shift bags. You can actually put it in that little bottom fanny pack thing, which is the main reason that I, I rented that is because I didn't want to try to find a place to put my 70 to 200 and like turn the lens hood around and lay it down on the on the top part. So it just work. It fits in a bag much, much better. And you get the extra reach. The downside is that it's a F4 to 5.6, which for a landscape photographer doesn't matter at all because you're yeah, always you're shooting, like shooting a higher aperture anyway. Exactly. So I think I'm actually going to be buying this lens. I, you, I liked it enough that I'm not going to be renting it anymore. I'm going to actually be buying it and use it for my landscape photography because it's so much smaller. And if you're going to be hiking, you don't want to hike with a 70 to 200 F2.8. They're just big and bulky, take up more space than they need to. And... With that and a 16 to 35 there, I do have a little gap there from 35 millimeters to 70 millimeters, but I was able to make up for that gap just by shooting a panorama with the longer lens. You're going to have it, nightmares every night at the hotel. Like, what if I find the perfect composition and it's in the 15 <laughs> millimeter gap? What true. am I going to do? <laughs> well, then I'm going to flip it vertical and shoot a panorama. And if I, can, if I can't quite get at that, then I'm just going to shoot at 35 millimeters. And I could totally get by with just those two lenses, I think. So I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. Eventually, I'm going to be picking this up once I pay some bills and stuff. <laughs> so, Very cool. There you go. Well, thanks everybody for joining us in this episode of the Improve Photography Podcast. If you like this kind of content, talking mostly about landscape and nature photography, you've got to check out our other show called Tripod. It's available wherever you got this podcast. You can get it on improvephotography.com slash podcast. Uh, you can get it on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Just go to, just check out for Tripod, the nature photography show. It is me and Nick and also Majid Badazadigan on that show every week. And we have some really cool uh, content. That is our second most popular podcast that we have uh, it's been growing really really fast so thanks everybody for joining us in this episode go check out tripod if this is interesting to you and uh, also give improved photography plus a look if that's interesting to you as well and we will see you in another seven days <laughs> <laughs>